Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome to Mint Dialogue number 65. This interview is with Eric Beard, whom I met at South by Southwest, thanks to my friend Jennifer Preston at the New York Times. Eric is founder and editor-in-chief at A Football Report, and is also currently consulting for Kick TV, which is YouTube's original soccer channel, partnered with the MLS. In this conversation, we discuss the A Football Report site and its business model, how brands can participate, as well as some fun banter about football, or soccer as it's called in the U.S., Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Now that should wake you up. This I have on the line, Eric from New York. Tell us who you are and what you're up to today. Hello, thanks, Minter. I um, my name is Eric Beard, and I am the founder of a footballreport.com, which is the largest sports site on Tumblr and is one of the biggest independent football sites in the world. And uh, yeah, it's about to turn four years old, so. That is, um, you know, heading towards retirement and blog age. But, uh, Indeed. So, Eric, how on earth did you get into this? I mean, let's, you know, if I spoke, if I gave you that intro, it's because it's an international language. Certainly over here in Europe, we understand the round ball game. But how mm-hmm. on earth did you get into that uh, voodoo juice? Uh, so I had to trek to Europe to really appreciate it. I mean, I played all my life, of course, um, but I was with the club team in Boston, which is my home. And I had a coach, an Italian coach, who was able to set up a summer. Um, and I was training with um, AC Perugia's academy during a summer. And I really, that was in 2006. And I, you know, 2006 for, in Italy, World Cup winning. Completely fell in love with it, learned as much as I could, learned Italian, um, and it really really goes from there. It just expanded. I've lived in Barcelona and Buenos Aires since then. Um, so, yes, the accent is not British. You'll have to get over that. Well, that's long, okay. We, you know, the Italiani giocano calcio and, you know, the Spanish football is not so bad. I can handle all mm-hmm. that. No, so, it's okay. So, um, so a football report. Um, tell us about your the concept behind the football report and maybe the journey that you've had since the four years you put this up. 
Sure. So I'm I'm not going to lie. Of course, imitation is uh, how a lot of ideas come to fruition. Absolutely. And, um, I've I've read a bunch of football sites that I had some you know James Richardson, um, Sid Lowe, some of the best. They inspired me, and I always really enjoyed writing and telling stories through this medium that I felt connected through a lot of to a lot of people. And really, it, it spun from there. I started it with my brother, who was also very passionate about it. And we did it for a few months, and we just went all out on learning everything about SEO, about you know how the other guys were doing it, how we can get our stuff out there, how we can get it read. And really, uh, the, the kind of catalyst for us was I had a really good friend who was an early adopter of Tumblr, and he had a very popular music site on there. And it's no longer around, but I used kind of his model of realizing that if you don't put something out every day, is that going to ruin your site or are you still going to have that following? And I decided early on that if I post two things a week or if I post 20 things a week, I want those people to always be there and always interacting and engaging with it. And so I turned to Tumblr and, you know, at the moment it's about 300,000 strong on Tumblr and those guys are always there and they understand that, you know, I might have other things to do in a certain day or whatnot. And so, you know, or maybe on Sunday I'll get five or six posts ready. Um, but ultimately the best thing about that is having an audience that will engage with everything that you do. Yeah. So it's not um, about the number of posts per, per se, but right. it's about making sure that each one of them makes sense for your group. Of course, and there has. If there's nothing to write about, then why force topics? Well, so so uh, then, how do you manage the off season? So the off season this year is actually quite easy, especially you know with Confederations Cup starting next year, and then sure. you have summer friendlies. But there are also there are some really interesting projects that we've been able to do. Um, for example, up in, back in March, uh, my brother and I went up to Montreal. They have a new team, the Montreal Impact, which has a, you know, they really have embraced the Quebec culture and representing what that stands for. Something not quite on like Catalonia and Barcelona's level, but sure. they do have a very clear identity, which is something um, very particular to Major League Soccer. So we really did a real look at that and look at their club and We've kind of tried to, you know, also for the offseason, we're going to try to do more artistic um, because more artistic projects as clearly sport, you know, edges the line between between art and, you know, recreation. Sports and life. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you get you 300,000 uh, followers on Tumblr. What is the, how does that audience split out? I mean, because I'm going to imagine since it's in English, We've got a, uh, an English base, but what, what does that look like? Well, obviously, with you know, the main thing I would say is that our audience has a lot more females than any other football site you'll find, and I think that is because we are on Tumblr. Um, there is a obviously a huge female presence on that platform, and so we've really we've really been able to avoid the whole machismo and really just focus on what we think is important, tackle important social issues like, say, racism in Europe and tackling, you know, stuff like that that really 
we don't do any wags or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We stay away from the Steven Gerrard's wife and Victoria Beckham. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, I think we've really, that's helped us gain a sense of notoriety. So, um, so there's this whole social layer on top of the sport itself that you're looking for sort of more life meaningful issues as opposed to just the sport itself. And, and so in terms of your audience, you have a larger proportion of women then versus men. Um, it, I'd say it is actually still about 60% men and 40% women. It's just more but, than you would have expected since it's... But a, if you go to Guardian Football and look at their demographics, it's probably 90% men, 10% women. Sure. So it is much more than your average football site or average sports site. And do you have an idea where they come from in terms of around the world? So it's about 30% United States, 25% Britain, and... Every other place you can imagine um, in between. They, there is a strong following in Australia as well. Um, so the English, English-speaking world, obviously, there is a bigger presence than in a place like Brazil. But there are still, we still do have a fairly good readership in Brazil. And I think, you know, ultimately, the Google Translate button, when you click on an article, it's not great, but it can take you somewhere. It's getting and, better. Mm-hmm. When... Talk, talk to us about your strategy. I mean, you, you said you borrowed from some other friends, and, and that's probably a very wise idea, learn from others. Uh, what, talk us about how you, what your strategy is. Well, building my personal brand, obviously I wanted to have some presence behind my voice, and so that started. I knew that I could write, so I quickly befriended the people that were on top. And how can I write for The Guardian? How can I write for The New York Times? How can I write for Grantland, and I went from there. I, so you would target them with um, original content that you were writing? Exactly, and trying to build my personal brands. And then as a result, you know, you know, go forward a few months, and you have, oh, how can I write for a football report? Uh, how can I have that? You know, I'm a good writer. I want people to see my stuff. And so I, as you know, personal brand, I suppose, gained that clout to be able to bring people in from all over the world and develop a sort of AFR team. Uh, and from there, actually, it's a engagement on both levels. So you have the Tumblr engagement, those people are always there, but then also you have people commenting on every article. And if someone had a really great comment, I would say, you know what, I can tell you, you can write. Why don't you come up with something? We'll showcase it and we'll see what other people think. And they got great exposure, and they loved it, and it kind of went from there. So I, most of my job at the moment, I, I don't have time for that much original writing anymore, unfortunately. But I'm able to feature these young, really passionate writers that know what they're talking about, that have great voices. And so, uh, talk us through that, because I can, you know, if you look at the brand channel or you know uh, these different types of portals that uh, congregate and curate information, how often do you? get into a situation where the, the, you know, the article's not, not up to your level, and then how do you negotiate that you know, backpedal? <laughs> um, I, I try to be as constructive as I can, but if I get, on average, 20 to 30 submissions a day, and I've had, I have two sub-editors who help me with this. Um, we're entirely capable. Um, and oh, they, they kind of, we, find, we find the best stuff, and we post it, and so, that's what it comes down to. We wow. try to be... We can't, you know, give 
three paragraph criticisms to every single piece, but we try to say, tackle this issue. This is what important. This is what is important. Come back to us, and we go from there. Um, and there's no shortage of people who want to, you know, because because they no, there's no shortage of people that want to have their voices heard and want to be in that, you know, circle of respect. How often or how important is it for you to have original? content so uh, you know not duplicate um it's absolutely essential at the same time i don't think it's necessary to have entirely original content but i think having that as the benchmark and ensuring that yes on a football report there will always be original content but there will be other content too and you know if we're if you know from a business model like we are going to work. It's gotten to the point where brands, Adidas, Nike, um, Puma, what have you, they're getting in contact. EA Sports, they want to work with us. And they have a lot of good ideas and good things that we can work with. Um, also, just on Tumblr, there is obviously, it, it's funny because I feel like we have taken kind of the anti-model of Tumblr by going with long, important reads. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, these, those pieces do get really good engagement, which is kind of an outlier. But then also, if you post, say, David Beckham's last boots before he retired, that explodes Tumblr. That sure. does better than anything else. So including those posts that have some kind of you know, societal or cultural importance, or, you know, it could just be a really cool viral idea. Like last week, the Irish football association had a video where their three of their players were interviewed in the press conference, but all all the journalists were eight year old kids. (laughs) And the result was just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to put those links into the, uh, into the show notes. Sure. So you were, you were mentioning business model. Tell us uh, what is the A Football Report business model. Sure. Um, well, obviously, our, we stand alone in the fact that we're reaching a Tumblr audience that isn't being met, and that we also have this notoriety on its own as a as a blog. Um, and as a result of that, I've you know a lot of a lot of brands have gotten in touch, and what we decided to do is. I've, I've told them, let's work together. Let's do really special things that reflect the brand. And so you won't be just having your, your voice on our site. We'll be telling your story through our natural, our natural site, essentially, Mm -hmm. or our natural, you know, our, uh, what our site represents. Right. As opposed to an advertisement anyway. Exactly. We wanted it to be personalized and we really feel that, that has a lot more power in the end. Sure. And so, give so us for a, an ex- yeah, yeah, I'll go, give you an example. Yeah, go for um, it. A few months ago, we worked with Adidas and we did uh, a photography competition. We feature, this is on the side note, in addition to great writing, we feature one of the best, um, one of the work of one of the best football photographers in the world on a weekly basis. He sends us kind of his B shots that he doesn't send to his agency and we feature them. So we have, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, he's there champions league final. He's there. We post those photos without saying those do huge on Tumblr. And so he's gained a notoriety, a sense of notoriety through us. And we said, 
okay, can you be the next re-vocal? Um, that's his name. And we'll, you know, we're working with Adidas. They want to find your work. And so we, we did a competition where we had people use a hashtag on Tumblr in their posts, you know, submit your best photo on your own Tumblr and we'll track it. But not only that, we'll have Danny Alves working with us to track it and we'll vote on the best one and you'll be able to direct a Adidas photo shoot. Wow. That's cool. And uh, so did you actually have to, and for that particular case, did you have to set up a separate platform to collect all the uh, photographs? How did that work out? Well, we were able to use Tumblr as the platform, to be honest, because we were tracking it through a hashtag. I see. And we kind of, we tracked the best, the best, um, you know, the best photos as we went. Oh, that's very cool. All right. So um, when you, I, I mean, a lot of the people were, I deal with and who are listening on the show are working in brands. What would be your advice if you're talking to them and listen, you know, you want to get involved with the, with us, what would be your, you know, behind closed doors? Hey, listen, this is what we recommend you to do. Sure. Uh, if you want to make this a good success. Make incredible social content. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I think our, my view represents Tumblr's view, you know, Tumblr has just integrated ads into their dashboard. Um, and to be honest, a lot of those ads are really great. Some of the ads for, say, The Great Gatsby, they were beautiful gifts, beautiful, stunning images. And, you know, if I come across that, I think it's just something really popular on Tumblr for a good reason. Um, and so something that's natural that it doesn't feel like just a pitch. And yes, it might be a New Jersey, but release the New Jersey in a way that is creative and something that, you know, oh, I want to know about this because this is a really interesting idea. And so, you know, if Adidas, they're, they released Chelsea's blue kit with just all of their players covered in blue paint and they actually oh, yeah. didn't show the kit at all. Mm-hmm. And that was sensational. It did, I think that might have been one of their biggest videos of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you being an Arsenal fan, surely that was a little bit of a rub up the wrong way. Yeah. Um, well, Arsenal, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of up in the air. If I think they finalized a new kit deal um, with Puma, which is exciting because they need the money. Um, it might not. I don't know. I'm, I'm still waiting to see it. So I'm, I'm, you know, jury's still out. But I don't know. I, I, I think. Um, Arsenal have done some creative stuff. I think they could be more creative. Um, they do have a... They're by far the biggest voice in the Premier League on, on the internet. Um, there, I can't tell you how many Arsenal blogs there are out there. Probably dozens. Um, but, yeah, just... I think making... They do an okay job of engaging with their independent voices. Right, if you... Taking just the football or soccer world... Um, what are the best digital, socially savvy football teams out there in your mind? Uh, Manchester City have really stood above in the past year. Their content, especially they have this match day feature, um, which they put on YouTube regularly. It's just kind of, they don't try to tell a story. They let the content tell itself. They just have cameras in certain places and you see the players in the tunnel, you see them at halftime, you see kind of, you get the atmosphere of what's going through, you know, the fans, what's going through the players. And 
I think that's really special. But then they also do things like they don't have Mario Bellatelli anymore, but they had a, they were able to, this was before Bellatelli joined Twitter, which I never thought he would actually do, but it's good to have him on here. Mm -hmm. Um, They had him do, you know, an ask, ask Mario and they made a video of that, him answering people's questions on Twitter, which isn't totally innovative, but not all players are comfortable with that. And they did it with a, you know, I, they did it well with Mario. It could have been really poor, and they didn't take it over the edge. They picked very solid questions. Um, but then you do have, so on the other side, when you use a hashtag, like uh, ask, ask Gerard, ask something like that, something that I don't want to focus on Adidas too much, but they did one with Ask Lampard, or I think they did Ask, no, ask Gareth Bale, and the hashtag totally was taken over by Arsenal fans. Ask Bale, you know, like, when are you leaving? When are you... Stuff like that that's kind of poking fun at him. And so... He's a great guy. I like Bale. Gosh. Yeah, no, I, I have nothing against him. But you can see, you know, oh, let's let's join in on this. Mm-hmm. We're a legion of a million Arsenal fans. Let's make this impossible to curate. Right. And so that not having that anticipation, um, I, think, I think actually Major League Soccer has done a very good job of engaging with their audience. They've taken the model that, okay, we have this core group of elite fans. They're not in the masses like, say, the Premier League or La Liga, but we're really going to give our core fans everything they could want, and we'll we'll expect them to market MLS for us. And I think that's been a good model. And going back to the Montreal Impact, it's worked with their ultras group, which isn't like ultras like in, in Italy, it's... They're, they're good people, um, but essentially those groups have have big presences on Twitter and they've, as a result, been able to bring in a lot more members year in, year after year. So do you think the MSL is going to make it? I mean, it sounds, uh, it seems more positive, but what do you think? Uh, it's, I mean, it's really difficult to say. I, I think they, they obviously have an approach in the long run and having Manchester City buying this second yeah. team in New York is absolutely massive. And the cash involved is something that Major League Soccer has never seen before. So all signs are pointing in the right direction, mm-hmm. you'd think. Um, obviously, there's the problem of, oh, you don't have a team in my region. Like, how am I supposed to support this league? Which, you know, in England, what you do, I could go out and start a team with 12 of my friends and we'd be in the 18th tier, of course, of right. English football, but in theory, we could be in the Premier League in eight, 18 years. And, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, so let's switch to that thought, because that's, I mean, having been brought up in England and and, and very comfortable, even though I'm a rugger man, um, sure. in, in the U.S., all sports, professional sports, is based on this idea of you have your, everyone has a chance. So every year you get you go back, if you're the worst, you get, you get the best next tier in as opposed to the English system where you know you're promoted and you're demoted out of, into different leagues talk me through what your feeling is about those two systems I mean one seems like the American one and the other one is the sort of everywhere else one sure it's and that's absolutely absolutely true um it's America versus the world and I think undoubtedly America has more stability it's but it's what you're giving up for that stability and that you need to weigh and you can have, as we've seen in England with a club like Manchester City that, you know, five years back were on the brink of relegation. 
they're now in the Champions League without a doubt, and they're able to buy whoever they want. And they're just, you've created a system where other teams just can't compete, that can't, they cannot have a prayer in winning a trophy, really. Well, and, yeah, there's, there's a couple of surprises this year all the same. Yeah, of course. Um, but, I mean, there are certain, the thing in Major League Soccer, everyone has an equal chance. That's you know, it. Over time, anyway. Over time. Exactly. Yeah. In par- you know, with, obviously, you know, there are hardcore MLS fans will tell you, oh, but... New York Red Bulls and LA Galaxy, they're able to bring in Henri and Beckham, and a team like Columbus could never do that. But at the same time, it's so much closer than, you know, any team can beat any team on a given day, and that's been proven time and time again, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. You just, you could really hope that the quality of the league would improve. I think if any team can beat any team, which I think the only real league that that can happen in is the Bundesliga um, with maybe the if you take Bayern Munich out of it um, I think that's a brilliant league that has really done well with fan ownership and as a result they 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 develop their own identity and their own group of players because the fans you know they have such a passion and they're able to make you know they're able to make the decisions and you know, put the club in the right direction and avoid debt, be responsible, which, you know, the billionaire owner, even though he might bring in a bunch of players, he might not always be able to do. All right. So we're, we're at the very beginning, you were saying there's these social issues. And my observation is a, well, you know, someone working in business and, and, a, and an avid sports person in many areas, I've constantly looked at sports as an opportunity for inspiration and yes. and obviously is a place for learning of life. At my school, we said that the you know it was a way to to form the the the, the leaders on the war field as well as you know leaders in business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In football, I have uh, several challenges, and one of them is this notion of the goal scorer running off, taking off the t-shirt, and running running away from the other players. Oh yes. Uh, as opposed to a hockey player who scores a goal and looks immediately to embrace the person who gave him the puck. Mm-hmm. Talk to me through your feelings about that and if there's any social I'm, there. So am I defending the player that runs and takes his shirt you, off here? No, you're talking as Eric Beard. What do you think and what should we do? Obviously, it really depends on the player and it depends on you know the situation. If it's a great team goal, like you know Barcelona putting 12 passes together before Messi finishes it, then obviously it makes sense for, you know, it would be really bizarre to see Messi go up and celebrate it on his own, running away from the players. But, you know, if you have someone like Mario Balotelli, who's dealt with all these, all this criticism and all these issues that, you know, have been going on with him and he scores an absolutely brilliant goal against Germany. Yeah. Go off and do your own thing, Mario. That's completely fine. I think, you know, having those characters, it's not that he doesn't care about his teammates, it's that he wants a moment, you know, for himself. And I think that's, if you don't have moments like that in sport, I don't know, what, what are you left with? If, I think there is something special about teamwork, obviously, and that should be, after the majority of goals, you should, you know, go congratulate with your teammates or go side, uh, celebrate with your teammates. But you have these exceptions, obviously, when someone does something particularly, um, you know, incredible, why not? Well, I, I, all right. So, what I'd like to do is 
I'd like to have a scale, right? This is, I don't call it the uh, <laughs> Minter Beard, or the Minter Eric scale. It would be on a scale of one to 10, uh, the, the amount of singularity involved in the prowess of the score versus the, the level of celebration. And so, you know, you, you could imagine, well, that, you know, that, that was really a team play. And then how sure. much was the celebration a team celebration? And then vice versa, someone who does a solo, a massive solo thing, but and remains as a team player, you know, celebrates with the team first. Uh, sure. I, would, I would love to be able to have some sort of like this index, because personally, I find that those, those people who go out there and celebrate and take their shirt off and do all that thing, drives me bonkers but i'm going to take the eric beard approach to listen if if it was a solo performance magnifico then mm-hmm. then i can i'm going to i'm going to follow that one a little bit more because i've sort of gotten this filter that's allowed me to sort of get a little bit all musty and pissed when <laughs> i see the movie sure. all right anyway so that's that's a little you know I, I was talking we were talking before just before going on recording about sort of the marketing over coffee podcast. This is sort of marketing over football podcast, sure. and a lot of fun that is. But I, mm-hmm. um, I promise to keep it in our usual time slot. So, Eric, um, one of the other th- the questions I had for you was, well, what are the lessons learned? So, if you're a brand, someone a brand marketer, and you have gone through these four years, what kind of lessons would you believe or learnings, if you will, if not from your failures as well as anything else, would you? Could you impart for people who are struggling with the digital era as a brand marketer? I mean, the, the biggest thing that I would do is really, you know, it's a two-part answer. As, as I said earlier, I reached out to the people that were doing it well, and I showed to them that I was capable of competing on the same level of, you know, coming up with creative new ideas and pitching them and executing them. And that you know, gave myself a reputation and I went from there and was able to build off of that. Um, and the second thing is, you know, really also not being, not being too proud to realize when other people are doing things well and supporting that and not just standing on the side and thinking, how can I beat them? But, you know, helping them achieve their goals and realizing that, some some months you might be losing and some might, some months you'll get killed but you know there are lessons to be learned and when someone wins you just need to embrace that and give them you know congratulate them i like that go from there yeah super eric that's a wonderful uh, way to finish so um tell us how people can track uh, you down i'll put of course all the links into it but what's your favorite way of being connected so i'm you'll find me probably most often on twitter at Beard Eric, uh, E-R-I-C, and uh, I'm, you know, afootballreport.com. You'll see my voice there from time to time. Uh, well, certainly, we'll make, if we don't see it in the front, we'll, we know it's in the back. Sure, and a football report is on Tumblr, or is on Twitter at a football report. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty, those are the essentials, I'd say. All right, Eric, thanks for coming on. Uh, have a lovely Sunday, and we'll be in touch. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. 
In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.